Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. I grew up with this naive understanding that if I had children one day, they would always make good decisions in life. They would automatically make good, logical, mature choices. They would love to listen to my instructions and obey me. Now, of course, if you are a parent yourself, you'll know that this is rarely the case. More often than not, it seems that like no matter how much we walk someone through the, the consequences of a, of a particular choice, whether good or bad, you know, no matter how much we kind of outline the, the dangers or something like that, sooner or later, they will be doing something foolish, making a mistake, and you feel like saying, I, I, I told you so. And now that Emily and I are parents, we've certainly learned to appreciate what our parents had to put up with, with us. We found also, with, when it comes to, to parenting, uh, as much as you can lay out the consequences of a particular choice, sooner or later, you need to give that child the opportunity to actually make that choice for themselves. I wonder... Thinking about your own experience growing up, or for those who are parents, I wonder what's the most drastic consequence that you've experienced. Perhaps it was a a cancelled trip to a friend's house, or heading home from Disneyland or something. Or maybe even that it was, uh, for example, uh, the other day, my children had a whole bunch of mess on the floor, and that's what they do. They like making mess with all their toys. And it was nearly dinner time, and I said all right, I'm going to give you five minutes to clean up. And if you clean up in time, I will take you to McDonald's. And I'm thinking, this is usually a 15-minute job for sure. So I'm pretty safe, you know, in my, uh, in my slippers and whatnot. And sure enough, with 10 seconds to spare, somehow they got it done. And so then, <laughs> you know, trying to be faithful to my word, in we went for a trip down, to back, down Blackburn Road. Now, getting McDonald's, I don't know if that's actually a good or a bad consequence now that I think of it, but you get the idea. Now, throughout Deuteronomy, one of the ways that God describes his relationship with Israel is like that of a father and a son. Now, in, uh, in the verse I've got up here, chapter 8, verse 5, uh, the connection is really clear. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, So the Lord your God disciplines you. And so as we look at our passage today, I want us to remember, as as Naomi helpfully pointed out last week, um, Yahweh, God, he doesn't lay out these conditions and consequences as some kind of aloof, narcissistic, self-absorbed God. He does so as Israel's compassionate father, He's compassionate towards them. He's he's intimately involved in Israel's salvation story. And just like a parent, God wants what's best for his child. He wants them to make the right choice. 
I call today's sermon Crossroads uh, because I think it describes what is happening here in this chapter. See, God has laid out clearly what will happen if the Israelites listen and if they do not listen. See, God, God, their father, has laid out clearly what will happen if they, if they listen to their father's wisdom or if they forge their own way apart from him. And when somebody is at a crossroads, uh, in a literal sense, it could just mean like this picture, that you're at a point where there's a divide in the road and you need to choose whether you go this way or that way. Uh, but being at a crossroads, often it's, it's a, a figurative expression that carries a fairly heavy symbolic meaning too, uh, which is more about, it's, it's a point at which a crucial decision must be made which has far-reaching consequences. If someone's at a crossroads, it means they're at this vital moment, I need to make a decision and it's going to be a big one. How should I weigh up the, the good and the bad repercussions of this decision? Which way am I going to go from here? As Megan mentioned at the start of our service, the, the past four Sundays up until this point, we've been looking through the first 10 chapters of Deuteronomy. And for, the, for this Sunday and, and next week, we're looking at the conclusion of the book. We're fast-forwarding to the end. And if you are in a growth group, hopefully you will have a chance to explore some more of the detailed laws in the middle. Now, just to give you a bit of a recap about where we've come from, in the chapters before this, Moses, he has reprised God's law for a new generation. As we've, uh, as we've heard in the previous weeks, they've been encouraged to remember their past, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul and strength. They've been told they mustn't forget the Lord as they enter into this season of prosperity. And they're called to mirror God's own heart for the refugee and the needy people around them and bring about shalom in the world. And now Moses, he gets to the end of his speech. And as he sums up what this means for Israel, there's a real call to action here. Is Israel going to follow their heavenly father's wisdom or ignore it? They've got this big decision to make. The consequences of that decision will reach far into the future. Israel is at a crossroads. And as I was praying and preparing for today, I feel like there are some of us here who are at a crossroads too. Some of you here might be considering whether you should start something new. Or perhaps you've just stopped something old, or you're considering whether to do that. Maybe some of you are wondering and discerning whether I should return to something that I haven't touched for years. But I also feel like there's some of you today who are at a crossroads with your relationship with God. Perhaps you're at a point where, where, where you feel like you've been deciding whether to trust God's wisdom for this particular part of your life or whether to forge your own path ahead by yourself. And maybe you've been considering Christianity for yourself, but you now sense Jesus asking you to make a decision for him. 
However you're going today, I want to encourage you to hold that in your heart. And later I'm going to invite us to respond to God. And I will say up front, if you've been following along with the, with the reading that Eunice did, Deuteronomy 28, it's quite graphic and intense, isn't it? And particularly if you keep on reading to the end of the chapter, it's a long chapter and it gets even worse. 60, more than 60 verses. Uh, but we're, we're a church here that, that, that grapples with the tough stuff in the Bible rather than just skipping over it. And so it's my role as the preacher today to be faithful with where the passage goes and how the passage should make us feel. I want you to feel what God might be saying to you today. The decision that Israel faced was a big one. There were only two paths that they could go. And in verses 1 and 2 and in 15 in this passage, we, we see God, their father, laying it out clearly for them. See, on the one hand, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Did you notice that these, these options, these choices are presented as complete opposites of each other? Israel's heavenly father gives them the offer of blessing and the offer of curse. There's two roads to take. There's only two ways to live. If they obey the law their God, they will be blessed. If they disobey, they will be cursed. Talk about a high-stakes decision to make. So what does it mean to them to say that someone is cursed or that they're blessed? I imagine a fair bit comes to mind when you, when you think about the word blessing. I mean, these days we might, we might bless a meal before we eat it. They're saying grace or something like that, bless this food to our bodies. If you're wanting to get married, um, it's a, it used to at least be the, the done thing where you go to the uh, person's parents and ask for their blessing. Or maybe when someone sneezes, you say, bless you. Or we might say that if things are generally going well for us in our life, then, then, then we're feeling blessed. I mean, hashtag blessed has been a thing for a while now. But in the Old Testament, the idea of blessing, it's, it's so much more significant and powerful than these things. Uh, and, and the idea of blessing, it comes from a couple of different uh, Hebrew roots, but it's, it's, so it's multifaceted in its meaning. But I, want, I had a go at summarizing it, and so I hope this is helpful for you. See, so you see, blessing, it's, it's tied to the very attributes which God himself lovingly shares with humanity. See, in the Bible, God's blessing, it's all about flourishing and prosperity, authority and rule, Shalom and rest. And if you're reading through the Bible, God's blessing happens right on the first page, Genesis 1 and 2. And then in Deuteronomy 28, we see these same aspects of blessing come up again. 
So this is a very full slide, but I'm going to read out some of these verses. See, thinking about blessing as flourishing and prosperity, when God blesses his people, he shares with them his ability to produce life. God enables us humans to produce life. We can grow plants. We can eat those plants. We can create a flourishing world of abundance. If you were here a number of months ago, Shannon shared about this, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and it's just Jesus, he invites us into a life of abundance. And in our passage today, verse 11, the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. We get this picture of just this overwhelming sense of abundance. But blessing also relates to authority and rule. See, when God blesses his people, he shares with them his authority to rule creation. Humanity, in the Genesis account, was created in God's image. The animals won't. It was humans alone that were given that image that God created. And just like princes and princesses, we were given the king's authority to rule God's world under him, stewarding that world and nurturing it. Again, we get these pictures in, in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God will set you high above the, all the nations on the earth. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. In other words, they will be leading others. They will be, a, they will be an influence. They will be a source of good in the world, and others will notice it. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, it, it mentions like these other nations, when they see how good you've got it, that your God is with you, they will praise you. Or they will praise God, that, 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 that God is, is dwelling with people. And finally, blessing brings about shalom and rest. When God blesses his people, he invites them to share in his shalom and his rest, his peace. When God shares his rest and his peace with humanity, he invites them into that state of shalom in his presence. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you in one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. You see, the, the people of God... They will live in a state of rest from their enemies. They will dwell with God in peace as his chosen people. Now, I don't know about you, but this blessed life sounds pretty amazing. Just multifaceted and just every aspect of it just sounds wonderful to me. And, and the great thing is this is what God is offering his people once more in Deuteronomy 28. It's an active invitation and empowering to be part of God's life-giving presence in the world. When God blesses his people, both in Genesis and here in Deuteronomy, he also pairs it with an invitation to trust and live by his wisdom. See, God the loving Father, he wants his children to be blessed and walk with him in life. 
It's like he's saying, if you trust me and live by my wisdom, then I will bless you. But what if people rejected God's invitation to trust and live by his wisdom? Like what, what, what would happen if, if, if God's people instead tried to achieve the life of blessing on, on their own terms, their, their, their own way, apart from God? Well, this chapter makes clear that this decision has big consequences too. In the Bible, the consequence for someone rejecting God's wisdom and trying to live life their own way is being cursed. Now, similar to blessing these days, the idea of of cursing or being cursed, I'm sure it conjures up a whole bunch of different ideas in our minds. I mean, cursing might be something that you say if you step on one of your child's Lego pieces. Or maybe even just depending on where, um, your background, maybe the idea of, of evil spells or witchcraft that can relate to the idea of cursing. Or perhaps even just if, you're, if you or maybe something in your house is feeling just perpetually unlucky and always broken, it's like, no, that washing machine is cursed, I tell you what, whatever it might be. So we use this sort of language. But again, in the Old Testament, the idea of curse is so much more significant than that. Uh, See, just as blessing is tied to the very attributes of God that he he himself lovingly shares with his people, a curse is the the reversal and even, even the active removal of those things. See, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, even though God blessed them and invited them to live by his wisdom, they they disobeyed that wisdom and chose to forge their own path to blessing for themselves. And the consequences was that they experienced God's curse. And even in the next chapter, their son Cain, uh, there's this uh, rather um, sobering episode where where Cain uh, and, and his brother Abel, they both present an offering to God and God's not happy with Cain's and he says, look, I want you to do the right thing here. You know, sin is, is crouching at your door, but you need to, like, overcome that. See, God gives, he goes, I want you to live by my wisdom. And yet, tragically, Cain turns around and forges his own path for his sense of justice, and he kills his brother. And God's words to Cain was, you are under a curse. And so now, in Deuteronomy If Israel were to do the same thing and forge their own way to blessing, then this chapter makes clear that they were to experience God's curse as well. And just after this passage, we get this uh, really interesting little insight. When such a person hears the words of this oath, the whole blessings and curses, the consequences of these actions... When they hear the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I'll be safe, even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them. 
In the Bible, God's curse is his judgment upon all those who forge their own way in life apart from him. The Bible uses the language of sin to describe this kind of rebellion. God's curse is his his reversal, his removal of those good things which he promised to us in his blessing. And so under curse, there's a drastic reversal of all these values. See, instead of flourishing and prosperity, we now find languishing and scarcity. For Adam and Eve, under God's curse, the creation of life, both bearing of children and cultivating food, becomes painful and filled with suffering. For the Israelites in this chapter... The fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Instead of of authority and rule in blessing, under God's curse we find servitude and oppression. Later on in chapter 28, It says, your sons and daughters will be given to another nation and you will wear out your eyes, watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that do not know you will eat what your land and labor produce and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all your days. They will be the head, but you will be the tail. Instead of shalom and rest, God's curse means exile and restlessness. See, the consequence of of the curse for Adam and Eve is that they were expelled from God's presence and his rest. And for the Israelites, towards the end of this chapter, it says that the Lord will scatter you among the nations from one end of the earth to the other. Among those nations you will find no repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There is just an extreme restlessness and and, and expulsion from God's presence. Blessing and curse. Flourishing and languishing. Life and death. That's the crossroads that Israel finds themselves at here. The road they take, the decision they make, will change the course of their history. Will they trust and obey the wisdom of God, their father that that Moses has laid out for them in the book of Deuteronomy? Will they trust that law? Will they trust their father's wisdom? Or, as chapter 29 suggests, will they invoke a blessing on on themselves and persist in going their own way? Some of you have children that have made bad decisions in life. That must be heartbreaking as as a parent to to see your child living, uh, or perhaps even not living, with those repercussions. 
particularly if you urge them as a loving parent to make a better choice, and they didn't. One of the saddest things about Deuteronomy is by the end of the book, God expects his people to fail. God knows his child will not make the right choice. In chapter 31, uh, after this little episode here, God takes Moses aside and he says, Moses, you're going to die soon. You're not going to be leading these people for much longer. And after you die, these people are going to reject me and turn to their own way of living. God lays it out very clearly by the end of the book. You know Israel is going to fail. Um, and as an aside, uh, for those who like musicals like, like Hamilton, uh, the whole of chapter 32, Deuteronomy 32, God even gives Israel's rejection narrative to Moses as, as a hip-hop song. So if, if, you're, if you're looking for, for some time, uh, something to do in your Sunday afternoon, have a read through that. Um, because of time, I, I actually had prepared a little, a little rap section for you, but I'm gonna, I have to skip over it because we need to keep moving on. But if you want to hear it, come and talk to me later, maybe. Now, despite everything that God did for Israel, he, he knows that they will soon reject his wisdom and forge their own way ahead without him. And if we continue to follow Israel's story and the rest of the Old Testament, the sad thing is that, that most, almost all of the curses that are outlined in, in chapter 28, and there's like, there's like 55 verses of them, almost all of them come to pass in their history. God says to Moses, for I know that they, I know what they, that's, that's what Israel, I know what they are inclined to do. Even now before I have brought them into the land, I promise them on oath. And what I think God is, God is saying to, to, to us is that, that every human being from, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Israel to us, Every single one of us has a heart that is inclined to reject God's wisdom for our lives. We each have an inclination to want to live life our own way apart from God. As a teenager, I remember walking past a shop and seeing this sign. Teenagers tired of being harassed by your parents. Act now, move out, get a job, pay your, bill, pay your bills while you still know everything. Of course, I kind of miss the irony uh, seeing that as a teenager, thinking that I did know everything. But the thing is, the human condition is, is such that we act, naturally act this way towards God. We're like teenagers who assume that we know what's best for our lives and, ha and we assume that our parents have no idea what it, like, like living and making decisions is like. You have no idea, Mum or Dad. But even if we did, 
decide and have the will to, to live trusting and living in God's wisdom as expressed in his word, I doubt many of us would get that right. I doubt any of us would get that right. If you were here a number of weeks ago at Pentecost, uh, Megan shared that, that the standard that God calls his people to live is, is so high that it should make us very nervous. I mean, I certainly don't live God's way all the time, and I'm sure no one here does, at least not always. I mean, think about those habitual sins uh, and, and habits in your life that, that you know you need to move away from. But, but it just seems like you just, you just can't break free from them. They're just like, come on, you know, you know you're... And, and it's just this battle. And I, I'm reminded of something that I, I read from C.S. Lewis once uh, where he said that no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. I wonder if that resonates with your experience. It just seems that there's something fundamental in us that we just, even if we want the good thing, it, it's, it's just out of our grasp. And, it, and even if you and I manage to live up to, to God's impossibly high standards for our lives that we see in his law, what then happens if we then inevitably break one of those laws or we forget to uphold one of them? As Jesus' brother uh, James says in the New Testament, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. My children recently discovered that it's all well and good to have a nice balloon but if you make one tiny small hole in it, you, you don't have a balloon anymore. And according to Deuteronomy, since we don't trust and live by God's wisdom in our hearts, all people, including, including you and I, are completely unworthy to receive God's abundant blessing, even though he offers that. Instead, we are fully deserving to be under God's curse. If that were the end of the story, it would be a tragedy for us. But in his incredible mercy, God does something amazing. You see, God knew that sinful, cursed humanity was powerless to deserve his blessing. And so in his love, he sent his eternal son into the world. And Jesus, he lived the life of obedience, trusting his father, that we couldn't possibly live, that Israel couldn't possibly live, that no one could possibly live. But yet Jesus did that. And as he willingly gave up his life for us on the cross, up on a pole, he died the death of a man under a curse. One of the laws in Deuteronomy says that anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And yet with this act of love 
and mercy that Jesus shows us, everything changes. Everything changes. The Apostle Paul reflects on on this particular verse in Deuteronomy. And and he writes to the Galatian church about the significance of Christ's death. And he he quotes this verse. Have a look at this. Now, Now that Jesus has died and rose for us, God's curse and blessing have been reversed. He writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone, anyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's you and I, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Through God's obedient Son, the world can now receive the fullness of God's blessing, including the Holy Spirit, God coming to live in our very heart, transforming us from the inside out. Through Jesus bearing our curse on the cross, on the pole, we have been redeemed from that curse that we all deserved. If you believe in Jesus, if you're someone today who trusts in Jesus, then you are not under that curse. Through Jesus alone, the world has hope. And now all of humanity is at a crossroads. Humanity is at a crucial point where where each and every person must decide whether to trust and live by God's wisdom or whether to forge their own path ahead without him. The key difference is that now, the way we trust and live by God's wisdom is about how we respond to his son Jesus. There are two ways to live, and, and in John's Gospel, he he makes it very clear. And note the, the, these themes of life and, and, and curse that we get up here. See, John 3.36, it makes it clear, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. To choose the path of God's wisdom, then, is to now have faith in Jesus and his work for us. And we are given God's blessing. We are given God's Holy Spirit as well. But those who do not believe in him remain deserving of God's curse. You and I are at a crossroads today. The stakes remain higher than ever. And God is urging us, God is urging you to choose wisely. God is urging each of you to believe in Jesus. If you're feeling like today is that day that you need to step forward in your faith with him, I want you to pray this simple prayer which I'll have up on the screen in a moment. And if you can't say for sure, that you've, you've ever really put your, your trust in Jesus, 
then I want to invite you to say this prayer with me as well. So I want to invite you, each of us, I want you to bow your heads. I'm not going to make this, this is a moment between you and God. Okay, I'm not going to ask anyone to come up the front or put up their hand. This is something which you in yourself know if you need to respond to Jesus today. And if you're at a point where you're just feeling perhaps a bit stale with your relationship with him, then like today is a day where, where you make a step forward in faith with him. And so I'm going to pray this, and I invite you, if you believe this, if you want to take a step forward in your faith today, uh, please repeat these words uh, in, in your heart. You can feel free to repeat it in, out loud if you want to, but uh, in your heart is also totally fine. So let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that in my heart I don't trust and live by your wisdom. I often try to achieve blessing in my own way without you. I can't earn your blessing and deserve your curse. I ask for your mercy and forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. I believe Jesus became a curse for me so that I can be set free from my sin. And so now I turn from my sin and invite Jesus to rule my life. Thank you that you offer me your gift of forgiveness and your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. I ask this through Christ my King. Amen. If you pray that prayer with me today, at the end of, your, at the end of the service today, I would love for you to come down, the, come down the front. We've got Alfie, we've got Daisy, who would love to talk with you and pray about anything that might be on your mind. I thank you for, for those who've made a decision to make, take a step forward in their trust in Jesus. Uh, heaven is celebrating right now.